the Road Smart Biker Podcast. Uh, I have a very special guest with me for today's episode. We have Amanda Smith. Hello, Amanda. Hello, Chris. How are you today? I'm excellent. Thank you very much. Contrary to popular belief, it is sunny in Manchester. We do get it occasionally. It's alive as well. So, Initially, can you explain for uh, our listeners who might not know what your job title is and what does uh, an average day in the life of Amanda Smith look like? Yeah, my job title is Head of Field Service Delivery for IM Road Smart, which means basically I look after everything that happens on the road for IM Road Smart, whether two or four wheels, and whether it's on the charity side with our observers and examiners or on our business side with our fleet trainers and examiners again so an all-encompassing role and um, I've been with the IIM I've been a member since 2002 uh, and I've been in various different full-time roles with the IIM since um, 2011 prior to that I was an observer in a group and then an examiner and then for those of you that have been here a long time I was a staff examiner as well in region two which is the southeast uh, to describe a day in my in my world, um, yeah, no day's the same, which is great. Uh, <laughs> generally, I used to do a lot of travelling around the country. I've obviously stopped that now, and a lot of my time is now in front of a computer, which is not really um, a favourite of mine, I have to say. I, I prefer being out and about, and I prefer um, talking to people and engaging with people as opposed to, yeah, sitting doing emails and reports and things like that. But needs must, and I really enjoy my job, I have to say. I thoroughly enjoy working with volunteers. I love the team I work with, and I really believe in the IM's uh, objectives. Um, we're a great, a great organisation. Yeah, absolutely agree. My, my own history, I actually um, started 30 years ago this year. Uh, I did 10 years in a car group and the last 20 on bikes. Um, so, yeah, and as you know, I'm never backwards at coming forwards with my opinions and some cars can, can be a little too passionate, but um, it, it is driven by passion for uh, what the IAM stands for. Yeah, I, I would like to touch on that, actually, because, because um, it is the passion for the cause which... Uh, which draws us all in I think and sometimes when you're in my position and you get a lot of challenging comments or emails or people give you calls about things that they're not happy about I always focus on that that it's only because they are passionate about what they do they either really enjoy it and want everything to be right or they totally believe in what our charitable objectives are and also want us to get it right for them too and support them so yeah I I, I love that feeling about working for IM Roads Mark. Yeah, and and the fact is, you know, we we are none of us perfect. We are fallible human beings, and and we get things wrong. And one of the reasons why I've stayed with it for so many, well, not just years, decades now, is I'm learning all the time. Explaining it to someone else definitely pokes holes in self belief that you know a topic. You try and explain mm -hmm. it to someone else, and all of a sudden you realise you don't quite understand it as well as you thought you did. Oh, exactly. We'll all have been off the road for six, seven, eight weeks, generally in the main. The roads will be completely different when we go back. Um, we all saw, well, certainly down my way at the weekend, when the bikes were unleashed into yeah. the roads. 
it, it was it was quite an event let's say that so yeah I, I think it's going to be a very different place for motorcyclists I would like to point out I do have a full motorcycle license at this point <laughs> yes <laughs> um well we'll come to that point a little later so what's your background before you came to I am um, what what were you doing I yeah I was in Sussex police um I was on the traffic department and after 16 years, I took a career break to have two children. And on my career break, I anticipated coming back to traffic. And I thought, I've got to keep my skill set up high. So I joined my local IM group. I didn't tell them what my background was. Um, I, I know I could have had membership by exemption, but I thought, no, I'm going to put myself through the paces. And yeah, within a very short space of time, my observer cottoned on that I had some experience. Um, I passed, obviously. And uh, I really enjoyed the group, um, became an observer with the group. <clears throat> and then the staff examiner at the time then got to meet me. And after a short period of time, after a short period of time, he asked me to be an examiner because there are very few female examiners. So I, I really wanted to push that forward. Um, became an examiner. Then I became um, a staff examiner for the Southeast, as I say. But at the same time, I was working at the local school where my children went thoroughly enjoying life not being in the police force anymore and realizing that there are actually some lovely people in the world and <laughs> I ended my career break and I thought do you know I don't think I want to go back <laughs> yeah. so I didn't and rather fortunately for me um, a full-time post came up at the IAM and I applied and was successful so since 2011 I've been working full-time for the IAM so it couldn't have been better for me to be honest uh, all came into place at the right time excellent so we were chatting just before we started the recording. Quite a lot of the staff at IMHQ have been furloughed, but you're not one of them. So who's currently on staff and working? So at the moment on in the field team, all the ASTMs are furloughed because obviously you guys aren't working, so therefore we're not working either. Sure. Um, myself and Richard Gladman have been retained so that we can deal with any queries that come in from groups um, we've had, I've had a few around group governance, a few around um, obviously going back to observing since we started. And Richard and I sit on the senior management team. So as part of that, we meet every morning from nine till 10 to uh, go over our COVID strategy and, and make sure the whole of the organisation is functioning properly. Um, there's a couple of people on the support team there. Um, there are people who unbelievably are still buying advanced driving riding in, um, in the COVID situation. I phoned, I did a sample yesterday and phoned a few of them to find out why they'd bought advanced riding in particular um, during COVID. And for the majority of them, it's because they want to do blood bikes. They volunteered and have been told they've got to have an advanced riding certificate. And for others, it's something they've always wanted to do. So they've now taken the opportunity to actually apply for something and, and are looking forward to starting once they come out of lockdown, which is good. Yeah, we, we had a new sign-up last week, I think it was, and uh, I spoke to the chap and said, you, know, you, you are aware that we're not going to be going out for a while yet, and so he, he was fine with that. I did send him some drills that he can go and practice for himself um, in isolation, which uh, he was very appreciative of. I would say, actually, Chris, that's great Great, you've done that because I asked all the associates I spoke to who hadn't started already yesterday about, you know, if they were being kept in contact with. And they'd all received our um, associate pack, which has got the advanced yep. riding books in. Um, 
and they'd all read them. And there were several bike groups in particular who'd given, exactly as you've done, they'd given them things to do. And they've also invited them to Zoom meetings as well. And they were absolutely fully on board. Uh, couldn't wait to get started, uh, champing at the bit to get it back into the course. So what you're doing is perfect to give them something to work on. I really yeah. like that a lot. So the next thing I, I just wanted to touch on was, again, we both have a long history in the organisation. Over the last couple of years, maybe, I th- feel that there has been a, a shift in the management culture. Um, and, and I think it's a very positive one, that there's not only a willingness to listen to groups, but I'd actually say a, a real desire to reach out and listen to the groups and hear what they've got to say. W- was that a conscious decision in the senior management team? I'm absolutely thrilled that you're telling me that, Chris, I have to say. It's music to my ears. I think it's crucial that we uh, we collaborate as much as possible. <clears throat> and we don't make decisions unless we've come to you first and say, hey, guys, what do you think about this? I would say this started probably eight or nine years ago, but it takes a very long time to change culture within an organisation such yeah. as ours. I think the crucial part to me was when we recruited our area service delivery managers that was when things really started to get moving. <clears throat> when you've got your, when you've got somebody that the groups can identify, not only for their riding or driving expertise, but with their knowledge for iron road smart, they automatically become first point of contact. So there's already a a, um, a relationship starting to build, much more uh, much more concrete relationship and effective relationship than we've ever had before. And then from that we've had a lot more collaboration. So when you think of all the projects that we've worked on, we've had the strategy group, that's been amazing. I've been part of that since the beginning. That's now just become the local group engagement committee. Um, and, and they have subgroups of that who will go on and do projects which then have direct impact onto the groups. But when you think of even this project with darts, the replacement business system, we've gone to groups and said, would you like to um, help us with this? We'd like some feedback. Come and sit down and do a workshop with us. Tell us what it's like from your point of view. How can we help? Which is where this survey's come in, basically, again. So you've given us a a slinky link into the survey. We're now hearing noises that we we may be coming out of the lockdown situation and you've sent this survey out for group chairs to complete to get our opinions on, on what happens after lockdown. So if can you tell us a bit about what the thought process thing was behind that? Yes, so we're very, very aware that <clears throat> during lockdown, groups have been very, very busy um, with virtual meetings, with their own observers, with their own committees, making sure things are ticking along in the background, probably refreshing knowledge, refreshing policies, looking at things that they're going to start doing in the future. And we would really like to know how we can help you with that. Because when when we are coming out of lockdown, it's going to be a very, very different world for everybody. Um, Nobody really knows what it's going to be like. So the best people to come to to see what you think is you guys. So work again, working in collaboration with a guy called Tony Mulhall, who is um, or was chief observer and at times chairman of Hearts and Beds Advanced Motorcyclists. Um, we created a very short survey for groups to be able to go in and give us your thoughts and also some data around your observers, because we do know when we come out, there'll be some observers who'll be absolutely fine to go out on their bikes or in the cars doing the yeah. observing, but others who, because of their personal circumstances, won't be able to. Because of the way our system is at the moment, our DTE system, we're unable to tell if a, an observer is active or inactive. 
that will change with darts. So that's hence the question why we've asked you, how many of your observers do you think you are going to be left with at the end of this who are going to be actually happy to come out on their own? Darts, you'll be able to tell us that without us having to come to you to ask for it. That's why some of the information in there might seem a bit obvious, but again, it's the limitations of our current system. So yeah, created the survey, got it out there. I have to say I'm really pleased with the responses so far. Some very, very useful information. Biggest thing for me is uh, when you get to the bottom of the survey, we ask you if um, if your group is able to support neighbouring groups in four different categories. I have more groups saying they'll help than I have groups saying they want help. So that's music to mind. That shows how far we've come in a very short space of time. And I do think some of these neighbourhood meetings over the winter where you all got together in an informal IM hosted um, meeting has really helped that too. Cement relationships. In the IM, we've always used to be quite territorial and we'd only work to our postcodes and it was, no, this is mine. I'm not going to help you because I'm best. <laughs> You're <laughs> never going to be with us. But we're, we're much more open now as an IM, not only from the two-way between um, us supporting you, but you guys supporting each other. As well. We're all in it for the same thing. We all want to make the roads around us safer, safer, better, more confident drivers and riders. So that's the... The feeling behind the survey is how can we help you best to get back out on the road to do what you love doing, what you have fun doing and what has got such a crucial benefit out of it. Yeah, I think for us at Manchester 500, we've run the initiative for the Manchester Bike Show. So we've always had a fairly close relationship with our neighbouring groups. There's one particular group that... um, They've been trying to um, implement new systems and they've seen what we do um, and they've come to us and said, you know, can, can you help out? How do you do this? And and we form closer relationships in that way. So certainly we believe that we, we shouldn't be sat in our retailers. We should be um, reaching out and learning from each other. None of it, well, certainly none of us at Manchester 500 are too proud to be said, well, you could do this better. <laughs> Great. And it- group's got experts in it experts in their own field who are doing who are volunteering by road smart in their spare time so it's great that they feel comfortable um sharing their expert skills with us as well there was one of the questions on the survey that came up to me, which was around having test days mm-hmm. uh, can you tell us a bit how you envisage that working yes a lot of this depends on social distancing, obviously, <laughs> and the guidelines that will come out from government around that. But we know that um, leading up to um, the lockdown, you probably had within each group several people who had a test date set and people who were almost test ready, who will probably need a couple of sessions and then they'll be good to go once they've had practice. So you, you may have groups who've got maybe 10 associates all ready for test at the same time. Um, my view is, and we've done this several times um, for groups all around the country, is we say, let's pick a day a little bit ahead in a, a little bit in advance. Maybe it'll be a Saturday in August. And we will get three or four examiners there to a particular location. And you will have slots throughout the day. You fill those slots with your associates. And we will go through um, you know, a quantity of associates in one day, in one location. And what works really well when we've done that before is at the end of that day, you know you've got 10 associates who may or may not pass. Um, we can provide certificates for you with a, a first or a fir- first or 
just a normal pass on it if you wanted it. So at the end of that day, you could have a big celebration as well of everybody who's passed in that cohort on that day. So, um, you know, something to look forward to, a little bit of pressure for people as well, but it's something to work towards. So when your associates come back, it's not, oh, well, I don't know when my test is going to be. It, we'll work with our examiners, with the ASDM to say, your test is going to be on, let's say, August the 24th. Let's get going, guys. Let's get cracking. And then you as a group can have a celebration if you want at the end. I mean, it's not dictated by what we want. It's what you'd like, what's going to help you best. Yeah. And actually, that sounds really good and, and would fit in the way that we operate. Um, I'm guessing some of the more geographically dispersed groups that wouldn't work for just getting people into a central location would be a bit more challenging for them but we're fairly compact in terms of geography so yeah and we've got to take into consideration our examiners as well because they're volunteers too so for them for us to be able to say actually if you want to turn up on this day at this location we'll give you four associates we'll, we'll do it obviously with government guidelines so it's going to have to be uh, separated between tests but um, you know it, it gives them less um, admin to do trying to arrange four different tests we'll do it between the group and the examiner and us and say yep let's all do it together yeah of course uh, us bikers <laughs> are naturally socially distanced but um, yes. <laughs> yeah, a little more challenging you've got to sit in a car with someone it's going to be off I think before we get the car side back up and running yeah and again, you've you've provided me a slinky link into um, the fact that we operate what um, has traditionally been called mass guidance, which is a term which for years I have railed against. I really dislike the term. I don't feel it describes what we do. And I know that it's caused confusion with people who have inquired. They've rung me up and said, you know, so you, do I go out in a big group of 20 riders and no it's it's absolutely not that it's it's one-to-one -one. so on the survey form there was a number of boxes to tick mm -hmm. one of which was mass guidance one was one-to-one -one, and then various other methods that coaching might resume from a very personal perspective is there an opportunity for us to drop the mass guidance label because although we have a preferred method um which is fixed course i think is a better name we're also very flexible and we will do one-to-one -one or ad hoc rides or whatever it is that the associate needs yeah. i think mass guidance is a very historic uh, description of what happens within groups and i i think particularly it's within bike groups um so with 182 different groups you've got 182 different ways of describing the courses I think you know you've got your super Sundays you've got your mass guidance your potluck sessions and it's all so for the sake of the survey it's what's the generic term that most people understand which is why we put it on there but yeah, we we much prefer the approach now of being customer focused so that we like your way of delivering which is you suit the customer so you'll have people that really want to do a course so they know when they start on their end and they're available on those days or people who because of the way they work or the way their home life is they need to do those one-to-ones that's the way they prefer to learn as well just one-to-one -one with one person all the time so to give people lots of different options with a group like yours which is big is, is superb obviously when you've got smaller groups it's very difficult to offer too many options people just want to know what they're going to get so um, I don't know if you've ever come across Kate Tong, who is our... Yep. Kate I, I, I know her by reputation. I'm not yeah, physically... Yeah, 
well or up for a podcast I have to say she'd be very good on a podcast yeah so we're looking at ways of describing our courses so that people actually understand what they are because what we have found in the past is people will buy an advanced driving or an advanced riding course and it's not actually what they want what yes. they actually want a mature driver's review or um, a non-members assessment or a taster session so she's looking at ways of describing what an advanced driving riding course is so people understand it and on the back of that, we've also created our new, um, you're probably aware of this at last year's Spring Forum, which seems eons ago now. Yes. We're talking about a new theory presentation and new recruitment presentations for the groups to be able to deliver when they go out to do their talks, or when they're out at shows, things like that, and when they're doing their theory sessions. Those have just been signed off. We're just doing the how-to guides for them. Uh, and we're really hopeful that in June, we'll be able to launch those to the groups whether we're in or out of um, lockdown, so that you can familiarise uh, familiarise yourself with the presentations, put the slides in. We've got specific slides which you can change as well that are focused on you as a group and your locality. Um, and in that, we describe different ways of doing um, the course, but we focused on one-to-one -one because essentially that's what it is. It's one-to-one -one coaching. No matter whether you do mass guidance or... Yeah. Hot luck, it's still you and your trainer. Um, there are groups now, particularly bike groups, who do two to one, um, and that does work very well. But I think it's that personal touch that people really like. Yeah, absolutely agree. Quite often in our group, the two to one, the ratio is flipped. So uh, an associate might get two observers because we uh, run a system where we rotate the observer for each ride, mm -hmm. but every associate who signs up for a course gets assigned a national observer as a mentor for the duration of the course. So they've got that one consistent touch point. And if an associate is struggling on any particular one model uh, module and, and they're not quite grasping the concepts, what we will do is we will send them out with that same observer again who they went with last time. So they know what the conversation was, but we'll also send the national observer along to support both the associate and the observer. So it, it, it works as a extra coaching and tuition for the observers as well as for the associates. And certainly bouncing concepts around an extra head can often uh, help to crystallise the concepts for the associate. Yeah, that's brilliant. People want to feel... Um part of something they don't want to feel they're a number and yeah. the best customer services what will bring people back and also from what you're describing you can easily identify people who who are potential observers that way as well absolutely yes the only thing that i was going to finish off uh, that particular point was maybe you could take the check boxes that people tick on the survey and add that to their little group profile on the website so that if someone goes looking for the information when they look, they can see that the boxes are checked for one-to-one, -one, two two-to-one, ad hoc, and all of the, the various variations. So um, they know up front in a fairly quick graphical representation uh, what's on offer. Yeah, and we are we are looking at our website and about group websites as well. To see, again, another piece of collaboration is uh, we have 182 different group websites out there. We have some who we started off on an IM Roadsmart hosted website yeah. uh, due to finances and other priorities. We had to put that project on hold. Um, we we would like to start it again. Um, 
we're going to push it forward, hopefully, so that we get a little, little bit more consistency, a little bit more brand, a little bit more corporate, but take away the bureaucracy for you guys so that we're able to give you proper support so that you're not left with, oh, my God, I've got a website here. I don't know what to do with it. That, that onus comes to us to help you do that. Now, I've had a, a question sent in by one of our listeners uh, who happens to be an observer, so a bit of self-interest motivation here, was around observer recognition. I mm. know that this is a question that was a, a regular one raised at the annual conferences um, when we had those, which was around, would it be possible to recognise the work and effort that observers put in through um, a reduced membership fee now i know we had a couple of big events silverstone for the cars and the nec bike show for the bikes a couple of years ago but we've had nothing since so for for our yeah. listener <laughs> i think um we we regularly review the issue of um giving a discounted membership or free of charge membership to our observers um We've got a new interim CEO at the moment. I don't know if you know Tony yep. Greenwich, who was the business development director. Um, it'll be another opportunity to review that as well. Um, from my point of view, we were um, planning on holding an observer recognition event in October this year, where we were going to do almost like a, an a, awards dinner um, because both myself and Kate, who I'd be working with this on membership, are really conscious that we really want to do more to recognise our valued um, volunteers. So I, I went down to see the RNLI uh, to see what they do for theirs. And surprisingly, I, I, was, I was actually quite surprised. They, they, they don't do as much as I thought they would for their volunteers. So they give, they've just introduced medals for them for long service or for um, special heroic rescues and things like that. And they have an award ceremony once a year, um, which I thought was a, a fantastic idea. Because what we're always saying to um, observers is, well, how would you like us to recognise you? The majority of times, it's, we just like to be thanked. We just like someone to recognise yeah. that we're doing something for you. And that we're doing a good job and, and if that is a thank you for me then that's what i'd like um don't necessarily want to have anything financial don't want big whistles and bells but just a, a genuine thank you but to me there are some people who always go above and beyond for iron roads and those are the people you'd like to recognize and it's not always the obvious person it may be the person that turns up week in week out to your meetings and sets out the table sets out the the book seat that meets and greets the associates and make sure there's bacon butties on the go it's not always the person that's got through 25 associates in one year or something like that so we look we were looking at ways to do that unfortunately with covid we've got other priorities at the moment but it's something that's really high on the list of how we recognize our, our volunteers and make them feel valued and make them feel that it's something worth volunteering for as well from a personal perspective Yes, it's it's always great to do something that recognises those individuals. And as you say, it, it might not be something big and glamorous that they're doing, but they are contributing substantially to the operations of the organisation. The problem with singling out any one, two, three, a dozen, whatever it is, there are always people that are left out and feel, well, why didn't I get recognised? So I think even a relatively small reduction in the membership fee kind of says to all of those people, look, we do recognise that you're contributing something of value to the organisation. So in that way, you're capturing everyone. 
and it doesn't need to be a huge amount just something small yeah. uh, i understand exactly where you're coming from we had a, a very small group got together on we were strategy group then to talk about this and although it sounds a really easy thing to do to say okay every observer will will have a percentage off their um off their membership fee and then we came across the the view of some of uh, the people in the workshop which was okay well i'm an observer and i turn up every sunday for you and i do get through 25 associates and there's an observer in our core who turns up as and when he doesn't do as much as or she doesn't do as much as I do, uh, and, that, uh, and they hardly ever get people through. How come I get they get the same discount as me? So <laughs> it's yeah. these sound great when you start, but then the deeper you go into it, it becomes a, a nightmare. So again, always always up for review, and I'm sure Tony will be looking at this sort of thing again. But it, it, there are complications to it. Yeah. Um, and then you get an observer who's been with you for. 25 years compared to an observer who's only done two years. Yeah, it, there are different categories. I know, I don't know if you know, remember Paul Woosley. Oh, yes. Who, yeah, uh, this was his constant thing is we need to do more to celebrate our observers in particular. But when you think about it, it's not always observers. You can't just reward observers because you've got people who don't observe who are on your committee. Your chair may not be an observer. Why shouldn't he get a reward as well? So yeah. why shouldn't the way you add that, we've got about 10,000 active volunteers. So if we were to to give them all, say, 50% discount, they'd probably bankrupt us. <laughs> Which is not to say we don't value everybody. Yeah. That's not what I'm saying. It's saying you, you've got to balance it with, with running um, the organisation, keeping it going, but making people feel that they've contributed and that we value what they've done. Yeah, I don't envy you because I... I... <laughs> I was playing a little bit, bit of devil's advocate there because these are the questions that I get thrown at me and yeah. it's not easy and there'll always be someone who's not happy. Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. You're never going to please everybody. We know that. But yeah, yeah we do need it. And if anybody can come up, if any of your listeners could come up, come up with either um, something that they think would be a great idea to reward our volunteers or a way of working out this discount, please get in touch with me. I'll be very grateful. <laughs> Well, the one thing that I would say is, although it was certainly appreciated the the tickets for the the bike show when that happened, I really missed the opportunity to interact with other members from other end of the country that I wouldn't normally see, which is what happened at the national conferences. Now I know they were prohibitively expensive. However, if if I could nudge you in any direction, what whatever event you come up with. I think there needs to be some way of making sure that we can get together and, and talk to each other at the event. I agree, absolutely. I, I agree. It's face In today's world, it seems odd, but face-to-face -face is what we do best. When you guys are out there and you're on your stands at shows, the, it's that face-to-face -face connection. The passion comes across. And when we're together in a, in a group, when we have these meetings, you have those shared conversations about your associates, about your committees, about your observers, about your local partnerships that you're working with. And it's those things that make the IM go round. I think um, it's sharing best practice. I think that's what worked so well over the winter was sharing best practice with your local groups and collaborating a bit more. Zoom is great for your functions, for yeah. operations, for times like this. But to me, you can't be face-to-face -face for some things. And it's that networking 
chatting to people. It's the conversation you have over a cup of coffee while you're standing there in the queue. Those are the things that spark off the ideas. We think, oh, yeah, we can do that. Let's go and do it. Yeah. And that's what we miss. Yeah. <laughs> so very much I get Charlie, where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, so I'm conscious that um, you, you give me an hour of your very precious time and uh, we're into the last five minutes. So I'm going to fire the last really, really tough question at you. Which is best, bikes or cars? Well, that's a that's a really hard question. I would be tempted to say bikes, clearly, because I'm talking to bike members. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think at the moment, um, I think at the moment, when you look at the way the roads are at the moment and the way the world is, I've spoken to a few of my team and a few of our members at the moment, and what they're telling me is when they go out on the bike it really improves their mood, their mental well-being, their good health, their self-esteem, their self-worth. They are out there, they focus completely on what's happening around them. Yeah. The stresses and strains of the day disappear, the worries about COVID, about money, about employment, gone. You're in the moment, you're focusing on the road, you're getting that bend right, you're coming out the other side in your accelerating way. And that is the passion to me about riding is that free spirit, that independence. And in, I think, in today's world, that's what people need, is to remind themselves what it is to be alive. Because when you're on a bike, that's when you truly feel alive. Is that good enough answer? <laughs> I think that's the perfect answer on which to end this podcast. And uh, I'm glad you gave the right answer. So, um, <laughs> Thank you very much for your time, Amanda. It's really appreciated. Well, if only you want me to come and talk to you group when we're allowed out, come <laughs> <laughs> <Minimum> in <bike. laughs> Absolutely will. Thanks again, Amanda. Appreciate it. Cheerio. Cheers. Bye. Bye.